Sports Island is a complete sports podcast covering all major news and topics from across the PGA Tour, NFL, NBA, NHL, MLB, and NCAA. This podcast focuses on sports only, as political, racial, and social issues are not discussed. If you are a sports fan and are looking to stay up to date on all of the major news and topics from across the major sports, then Sports Island is truly your getaway destination. You're listening to the Sports Island Podcast with your host, Rick Mitchell. And now, the Sports Island Podcast. Hey everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. This is version 40 of the show, and we got a jam-packed episode for you this week. We have some NHL playoff hockey to preview. Uh, of course, the standings update in Major League Baseball. We'll even dive in a little bit to the uh, NBA's playoffs and their play-in tournament. That's going to be starting very soon. But before we get started, I just want to... Thank all of you that listen to this regularly, that have stopped by to take a little bit of time out of their schedule to listen to Sports Island. This past week, uh, Sports Island crossed over the 1,000 listens mark for podcasts, so I definitely appreciate all the support and hope you continue to enjoy these podcasts as I get them out to you. But we'll start off. Uh, in the PGA Tour, like we normally do, and this past weekend's tournament was the Wells Fargo Championship. That was at the Quail Hollow Golf Club in Charlotte, North Carolina. Par 71, distance 7,521 yards. So it was a long course, set up nicely for the guys that hit the ball uh, quite a bit off the tee, distance-wise. Um you needed to hit the fairways. You saw that. That was pretty evident throughout the weekend, that precision was key, getting in the middle of the fairway. We had a pretty good field of players. Uh, was one positive COVID test to start the week, but all in all, it was a, it was a good tournament, and uh, there was a very weird situation that happened um, with Bryson DeChambeau this past weekend. So Bryson DeChambeau had a morning tee time on Friday's second round, and he finished the round sitting at plus two, which at the time was below the cut line. So he believed he was going to miss the cut. So DeChambeau flew back to his home here in Dallas, Texas, which is a side note. I didn't realize that DeChambeau lived here in Dallas, but he does. So he flew back to Dallas on Friday afternoon. Well, in those afternoon rounds, the wind kind of picked up and made the course conditions a little tougher and it raised some scores. So a number of the players started backing up. Well, this caused the cut line to move to plus two, which made DeChambeau a weekend participant. So DeChambeau ended up making the cut. But the problem was is that he was already back in Dallas when he found this out. So he and his team had to scramble and get a private flight back to Charlotte. Well, the only crew they could find couldn't fly him Friday evening, so DeChambeau had to get up and leave Dallas at 2.45 a.m. on Saturday morning, which got him to Charlotte at about 6.20. He drove about 30 minutes to Quail Hollow, got uh, a little bit of a some putting practice in. He only about, had about an hour to get ready when he got there, went out there, and ended up firing a 3-under 68 on Saturday after all that. And that included a double bogey on 18. So he could have just as easily been five under uh, if not for that double bogey on the final hole. But he also shot a three under 68 on Sunday to follow that up. So his cumulative score for the tournament was four under, which was good for T9. So DeChambeau had a top 10 finish after all that. So what a wild weekend for him and props to him for getting back there and, and getting that tournament done. But at the end of it, the winner was Rory McIlroy with a score of 10 under par. It was his 19th career victory on tour and his first uh, in a year and a half. And Rory looked like his recent struggles uh, were going to continue this weekend when he opened with a, a plus 172 on Thursday. But then he came roaring back on Friday to shoot a 2 under, or correction, 5 under 66, right? So... Uh, he was at four under heading into the weekend, and he closed with a pair of three under 68s over the weekend to 
capture his first victory since 2019. And a big reason for Rory's success this past weekend was the fact that he went 52 of 52 of, uh, for putts made inside of six feet. So basically anything inside of six feet was automatic for Rory this past weekend, which is huge because if you can make those putts uh, like that at that pace, uh, you are going to win more times than you're going to lose. Second place was Abraham Answer at nine under par, one shot back of Rory. And Answer was coming off a top five finish at the Valspar, uh, where he just played another great tournament this week at the Wells Fargo. His worst score was a one under, a round of 70, which he shot both on Friday and Saturday. Then he closed out with a five under 66 on Sunday to jump into that solo second spot. Uh, I talked about him in the Valspar episode um, last week. He's Another one of the he has not won on the PGA Tour, but he is very very close, and he's got two consecutive top five finishes. Uh, I think Answers getting really close to being a, a winner on tour. There was a two way tie for third place, and that was Victor Hovland and Keith Mitchell. Both were at eight under par, one shot back of Answer and two shots back of McElroy. Well, with Victor Hovland, he was also coming off a top five finish at the Valspar, where he ended up. Uh, T3 there. Well, Hovland got off to a slow start. He was only sitting at one under heading into the weekend rounds, but he picked up right where he left off at the Valspar. He went three under on Saturday and four under on Sunday to just jump right up the leaderboard. He actually could have won this thing uh, because on Saturday's round, Hovland was five under through 11 holes on Saturday but then he ended up bogeying 12, 13, and 16 to kind of bring his score back down to earth a little bit. But uh, Hovland did secure another top five finish in back-to-back weeks. And again, I think he, heading into the PGA Championship, he's looking very good. Uh, Keith Mitchell was the other one at T3, eight under. Mitchell was actually the co-54-hole leader heading into Sunday, uh, but he just struggled on Sunday. He wasn't quite as effective with the driver, uh, didn't make as many putts on Sunday, but he, he did manage to salvage a plus 172 on Sunday after a late bogey. Uh, it, it All in all, it was a solid weekend for uh, a lesser-known golfer. But fifth place was Gary Woodland. He finished at 7-under, which was three shots back of McElroy's lead. And Woodland was the other 54-hole uh, leader with Keith Mitchell. So they had the final tee time on Sunday. Woodland put together three really good rounds of golf uh, Thursday through Saturday with a 67, 69, and 70. But uh, on Sunday, all Woodland could manage was an even par 71. So uh, he was a little short on Sunday, couldn't couldn't pull off the victory, but uh, Woodland's a former U.S. Open winner a couple years ago, so uh, he is... It's good for him to be back in the top five. He's had some recent struggles as well. But let's check out my picks to click for the Wells Fargo Championship. The first one I gave you was Keegan Bradley. And he came into this thing riding a solo second at the Valspar Championship the week prior. And he hadn't finished any worse than 30th in his last five starts. So I liked for him to come out and uh, at least get near that top 25 threshold especially coming off of a a solo second. And Bradley ended up finishing at one under par, which was good for a T-18. And he looked like he was in for another repeat performance from the Valspar when he came out with a five under 66 in Thursday's opening round. The problem was is that he followed that up on Friday with a four over 75. So that put him at one under heading into the weekend and in those weekend rounds, He shot even par in both of those rounds to stay at one under, but it did secure him 18th place, which is a click because it's inside the top 25. My second pick to click was Victor Hovland. I just talked about him coming off of a top five finish and uh, just played really well. Again, could have won this thing if not for a couple of bogeys there in Saturday's final round or Saturday's round late. Um, eight under, good for tied for third place finish. Uh, Hovland again playing some very good golf at the moment, 
and I would not be surprised if we're talking about him as a winner at the PGA Championship in a couple of weeks. But my final pick to click from the Wells Fargo was Xander Shoffley. Um, he hadn't played in any individual events since the Masters, where he finished third. Could have won if not for a late collapse on Sunday, but he also played in the Zurich Classic of New Orleans a few weeks ago with his partner, Patrick Cantlay. Uh, they did not win the event, but uh, he is rested because that event was a few weeks ago. And uh, Shoffley's come into this thing. He was currently leading the tour in all-around ranking. So he's one of those guys that could pop on any week and win. Uh, but I like for him to finish inside the top 25, and he did that for me. He finished at two under par, which is good for T14. So he didn't get off to the best start. Uh, he shot a one over on Thursday's opening round, but then followed that up with a, a pair of uh, even par 71s on Friday and Sunday. His best round was Saturday, which was three under 68. That was good enough to get him down to two under par. And then his, of course, his even par on Sunday kept him there. So he finished T14. That's another click. I ended up clicking on all three of my Wells Fargo championship picks. So that is good news here moving forward. But this weekend's tournament is the AT&T Byron Nelson. And that's held at TPC Craig Ranch in McKinney, Texas. It's a par 72, and the distance is 7,468 yards. So this is the first time that this that the Byron Nelson is being played at TPC Craig Ranch. The previous few years, it's been held at the Trinity Forest Golf Club in Dallas. And McKinney is about 25 to 30 miles north of Dallas, so it's still fairly close. TPC Craig Ranch has hosted a Corn Ferry Tour event, but it has not ever hosted a PGA Tour event. So this is the first PGA event being played here. Uh, the Byron Nelson was not played last year. It was another casualty of the pandemic. So uh, last time we saw this tournament was 2019, and Sung Kong was the winner. And this tournament, this year, uh, it comes before the PGA Championship, a week before the PGA Championship. So we have a pretty good field. we got three of the top ten golfers out there. And we also welcome back Hideki Matsuyama, who took a four-week hiatus uh, to return to Japan after winning the Masters. So he is back in the field this week. We would have had four top ten golfers in the world, but Dustin Johnson had to withdraw due to a knee injury that's been um, bothering him. And Dustin Johnson said that he wanted to remain home and focus on his rehab, presumably to participate in next week's PGA Championship. But we'll have to see. But let's check out Rick's picks to click for the AT&T Byron Nelson. The first one I'll give you is Mark Leishman. He's ranked number 38 in the world. And he is an Australian golfer. He's used to playing on the island with windy conditions. And that historically has actually made him play pretty well at Texas courses because of the wind. Um, his last individual performance was at the Masters. He finished T5. Uh, and then he followed that up uh, with a win with his partner, Cam Smith, at the Zurich Classic of New Orleans. So him and Cam Smith won at the Zurich, and he had a top five at the Masters. So his last two performances, he's been playing some really good golf. He's historically played well in Texas. Uh, I like for Leishman to finish inside the top 25. My second pick to click is Jordan Spieth. He's ranked number 28 in the world. His ranking just... Uh, a couple months ago was uh, in the 50s and 60s. Hell, I think he may have been in the 70s in the world rankings. But Spieth is now up to 28 because he has been the hottest golfer uh, over the last few months. And Spieth is a Dallas native. He grew up here. He lives here. And again, like I said, just been one of the hottest players over the last few months. An interesting note that came out on Spieth this week, he told reporters that he had tested positive for covid three weeks ago, but he has since made a full recovery. Um, in Spieth's last eight starts, he has a win at TPC San Antonio, five top four finishes, a T-15, and a T-48. And he always plays well at the Byron Nelson because he gets to sleep in his own bed uh, every night. So I think uh, Jordan Spieth is going to continue where he has 
uh, been playing, and I, I certainly think that Spieth is good for a top 25 finish here at the Byron. But my final pick to click for the Byron Nelson is Bryson DeChambeau. He's ranked number four in the world. And like Spieth, DeChambeau also resides here in Dallas. And after a crazy weekend last week at the Wells Fargo that we talked about, where he, of course, unnecessarily went home, he still ended up finishing T9. So he uh, secured a top 10 finish after all that. And in his last five starts, he has a win and three top 10 finishes. So I think DeChambeau's got a good shot to win this week. Uh, he, again, like Spieth, gets to sleep in his own bed. And believe it or not, that makes a big difference to these guys who don't get to do that very often. Uh, and I think um, either way, I, I like for DeChambeau to finish inside the top 25 and pick up some momentum heading into uh, next weekend's PGA Championship. But we'll move on to the National Hockey League and... The quest for Lord Stanley's Cup has officially began, and we will uh, take each division and break down the playoff matchups as they are. And uh, the first two rounds of the playoffs are going to be intra-division play, just like the regular season. It was all intra-division games. The first two rounds of the playoffs are going to be intra-division uh, matchups. The first round starts Saturday, May 15th. So we'll, we'll start off. We'll go out to the Honda West division. All right. The top seed uh, in the Honda West is the Colorado Avalanche. They actually won the President's Trophy as the best team in the league. They are going to host the number four seeded St. Louis Blues. Now, in the regular season, these teams met eight times, and the Avalanche won five out of those eight regular season games while outscoring the Blues 26-21. to 21. Uh, The Avalanche have been atop the Honda West standings for most of the season. Uh, them and the Vegas Golden Knights have flip-flopped, but it, the Avalanche, they have an immense core with Nathan McKinnon, Miko Rantanen, um, Gabriel Landeskog, Kale McCarr, uh, that team is just too good. They're too fast, too skilled. I like for the Avalanche to win this series in six games. So that is my prediction for that. The other series in the Honda West Division is the number two Vegas Golden Knights versus the number three Minnesota Wild. Now, these two teams also played eight times in the regular season, and the Minnesota Wild won five out of those eight games. But the Golden Knights outscored the Wild 24-23 to in those eight games. So while Minnesota won more games, the Golden Knights scored more goals in those games. So uh, I like Minnesota. They're scrappy. Uh, they, their rookie, Kirill Kaprizov, he has really taken the NHL by storm this season. He's probably the odds-on favorite to win the Calder Trophy as the league's top rookie. Uh, so I like the Wild. Uh, I just, in a seven-game series in which the Golden Knights have home ice advantage, I like Vegas to come out on top in this one. Uh, but I think it's going to be closer than uh, a lot of people may believe. And I'm going to pick the Vegas Golden Knights to win, but I'm going to do that in seven games. I think Vegas wins in seven games. So in the Honda West, give me the Avalanche in six and the Golden Knights in seven. That would set up a Colorado-Vegas uh, second-round series. But uh, we'll move over to the Discover Central division. The team to finish first in that division in the regular season was the Carolina Hurricanes. They are the number one seed. They will take on the number four-seeded Nashville Predators. These two teams also met eight times in the regular season. The Carolina Hurricanes won six out of those eight games, and they outscored the Predators 24-17. to 17. Uh, the last, These two teams actually played the last two regular season game, uh, games together, and Asheville won both of them, but those were their only two wins. Uh, the first six games that these two teams played together, Carolina won. So 
I like, uh, again, the Predators, they have some players. Of course, they got Philip Forsberg. You know, UC Saros, the goaltender for the Predators, uh, has been playing on an unbelievable level this year. Probably deserves to be in the Vesna conversation, although I doubt he will be a finalist. But I think Carolina's uh, with uh, Svechnikov and Sebastian Ajo, Man, I, I like those guys and just their, their dominance the first six games of the season. Uh, I like the Hurricanes to win this series, and I'm picking Carolina to win in five games. The other matchup in the Discover Central is the number two-seeded Florida Panthers versus the number three-seeded Tampa Bay Lightning. This is the Battle of Florida. All right, these two teams played eight regular season games against each other. The Florida Panthers won five out of those eight games, and they outscored the Lightning 31-24. to Fairly close back-and-forth regular season series, but the edge, I think, in this one came in the form of some news the other day in which the Tampa Bay Lightning announced that forwards Nikita Kucherov and Steven Stamkos are both going to be back in the lineup for the start of the playoff series. For game one. They have both missed significant time due to injury. Uh, Kucherov hadn't even really played this year. And so I like for the Tampa Bay Lightning to win this series. Uh, the Florida Panthers are super, uh, super good. Uh, they, If you watch them throughout the regular season, uh, they were atop the Discover Central at multiple times throughout the season. They just, they have it all. Um, Sergey Bobrovsky, the goalie, uh, he's he's been in the playoffs before. He's been a Vesna finalist. Uh, you know they got a good young core up front. Vincent Trocheck, Jonathan Huberdeau. I like the Panthers a lot. Uh, and uh, truthfully, if Kucherov and Stamkos weren't coming back for the Lightning, uh, I would probably lean towards the Panthers. But you give the Lightning uh, Kucherov and Stamkos on top of an already loaded lineup uh, with with Braden Point. Victor Hedman, and of course, they have the best goalie in the world, and Andre Vasilevsky. So I'm going to pick the Tampa Bay Lightning to win the series, but I'm going to do that in seven games. I think that one's going to go the distance. Now, you'll notice in the Discover Central division that my beloved Dallas Stars are not in the playoffs. They finished fifth in the Central, uh, just, uh, just behind the Nashville Predators. So with this missed playoff appearance, the Dallas Stars become the first defending conference champion to miss the playoffs the following year since the 2014 Los Angeles Kings. Now, the Stars have dealt with a massive load of injuries throughout the year. Ben Bishop didn't play. Tyler Sagan only played in four games to finish the year, but they have a lot of good young talent, so I would fully suspect that the Stars are going to be in the playoff fold next year, but... um, yeah, they uh, they made some history in becoming the first team in seven seasons, uh, first defending conference champion uh, in seven seasons to miss the playoffs the following year. But we'll head over to the Scotia North Division. The number one seed is the Toronto Maple Leafs. They play the number four seed Montreal Canadiens. These two teams played ten regular season games against each other. The Maple Leafs won seven out of those ten games, and they outscored the Canadians 34-25. to Interesting note about this series is that this is the first time since 1979 that Toronto and Montreal will face off in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Uh, that seems outrageous to me. Uh, these two teams have been duking it out for years, and I just couldn't believe that it's been, uh, you know, 40 years basically since these two teams have met in the playoffs. A lot of that has to do with one or the other missing the playoffs throughout that time span. But the interesting note about that is that every time in NHL history that Toronto and Montreal have met in the playoffs, the winner of that playoff series has gone on to win the Stanley Cup. So I'm not saying that the winner of this series is going to win the Stanley Cup. Uh, I think if Toronto wins, that is far more likely to be the case. Um but I don't see Montreal winning the Stanley Cup. In fact, I don't see Montreal winning this series. Toronto, uh, they have Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, William Nylander, John Tavares, and they're getting their starting goalie, Frederick Anderson, back. Uh, He's missed the last couple uh, months or so due to injury, 
and he just completed a little rehab assignment. And their backup goalie, Jack Campbell, did nothing but set a record for the most consecutive wins to start uh, his season with, I think it was 10 or 11 games in a row he won. So give me the Toronto Maple Leafs to win this series in five games. Uh, They have too much firepower up front for Montreal to handle. Montreal's rookie, Cole Caulfield, he's really bust onto the scene here these last few weeks of the regular season. I think he'll be a big factor for the Canadians. But again... Too much firepower for the Maple Leafs up front, and uh, give me the Leafs to win in five games. The other playoff series in the Scotia North Division is the number two-seeded Edmonton Oilers versus the number three-seeded Winnipeg Jets. These two teams met nine times in the regular season. Edmonton won seven out of those nine games, and they outscored the Jets 34-22. to All you need to know about the Edmonton Oilers is Connor McDavid. Uh, He's the best player in the world. And they have another top five player in the world in Leon Dreisaitl, who happens to play on the same line as Connor McDavid. Now, this past weekend, last weekend, I should say, Connor McDavid entered the game on Saturday night against the Vancouver Canucks, four points shy of 100 points on the season. Well, he went out. Saturday night in a 4-3 to win and had four points. He had a goal and three assists to eclipse the 100-point mark in the regular season. Now, the spectacular thing about that was that he did it in just 53 regular season games, which is just absurd. That's, uh, you know, about 1.85 points per game or so, almost two points a game. That is outrageous, especially this day and age in the NHL. That's just a big testament to his skill level. There's only three other players in NHL history to achieve 100 points faster than 53 games. And that was Mario Lemieux, who did it twice, both in 38 games. Wayne Gretzky did it once in 50 games. And Yaramir Yager did it once in 52 games. So again, Connor McDavid just having an unbelievable season. Uh, He's the best hockey player on the planet. The season's only 56 games, but if you extrapolate his point total over a regular 82-game slate, he is on pace for 160 points. That hasn't been done in a long time, and I truly believe he would have he would have gotten at least 160 points had they played a full season. So moving that into the playoff prediction, the Winnipeg Jets, uh, they, uh, of course, they have some talent. Uh, Mark Shifley... Blake Wheeler, Nick Ehlers, uh, you know, they they really do have some talent, the Jets do. And, of course, their goaltender is last year's Vesna Trophy winner and my former high school teammate, Connor Hellebuck. And uh, he's a fantastic goalie, but uh, the, the Oilers have just been dominant over the Jets this season. And I would suspect for that to continue in the playoffs Give me the Edmonton Oilers to win this series in five games. Now, in the Mass Mutual East division, the top seed was the Pittsburgh Penguins. They are going to play the number four seed, New York Islanders. These two teams played eight regular season games against each other. Pittsburgh won six of those games and outscored the Islanders 25-19. to They have Sidney Crosby. They have Evgeny Malkin. Uh... I just like the Penguins. Uh, The Islanders are good. They made a couple of uh, trades at the trade deadline uh, to help boost their roster. Uh, They got Matt Barzell, of course, uh, Anders Lee. You know, they have have some good players, but uh, Sidney Crosby is as battle-tested as it gets in the playoffs. Give me the Penguins to win this series in six games. The other series in the Mass Mutual East division is the number two-seeded Washington Capitals against the number three-seeded Boston Bruins. These two teams played seven regular season games against each other. Boston won four out of those seven, and they outscored the Capitals 25-22. to That's about as close as it gets. They're the two and three seed. They basically split the season series. They scored just three goals uh, apart. And Zdeno Chara, the defenseman for the Capitals, gets to play his former team, the Boston Bruins. Um, Of course, the Capitals have Alex Ovechkin, 
Nick Backstrom, uh, John Carlson on the point, top flight defenseman. Uh, Capitals definitely have some firepower. Uh, Evgeny Kuznetsov, you can throw him in there as well. They can score and score in a hurry. But the Boston Bruins, uh, they traded for Taylor Hall at the deadline, which was the fantastic acquisition, the best acquisition of the trade deadline, and he really came into his own. All it took was a change of scenery out of Buffalo for him, and he really kind of sparked the Boston Bruins on a late-season charge. And uh, I really think that the Bruins have the edge in this series just simply because of that trade deadline acquisition of Taylor Hall. Now, they, of course, have David Pasternak. uh, They have Brad Marchand. They have Patrice Bergeron and Charlie McAvoy on the point. So I like the Capitals. I like the Bruins. But I think Taylor Hall is the difference in this series. And give me the Boston Bruins to win the series in seven games. So playoffs are getting underway this weekend. Stanley Cup hockey uh, is the best playoff of any major pro sport. It's the most exciting. Players are the most talented at their sport. Best athletes in the world. And I am looking forward to this Stanley Cup run. And uh, again, just uh, first two rounds are intra-division play, which makes it even more interesting considering these teams just beat the hell out of each other throughout the entire 56-game regular season. So I am just as pumped as everyone else for the Stanley Cup playoffs to begin. And uh, next week's episode, we'll have a a series update as we'll be several games into each of these series uh, on next week's episode. But we'll move on to our standings update portion of the show, and we'll start off in Major League Baseball. Uh, Most teams have played uh, between... 36 to 40 games so far out of the 162 game season so we're still really young here in major league baseball season but we'll start off in the national league east and the new york mets currently lead that division at 18 and 14 although they got some pretty bad news this week when uh, starting pitcher cy young winner jacob Degrom, he was pulled from his start this past week after six innings Uh, with right side tightness well he had an MRI and based on those results it was determined that he needed to be placed on the 10-day injured list so it was a re-aggravation from an injury that he sustained uh, in his previous start and it was described more as lower back than side Uh, but either way uh, the Mets kind of go as Jacob deGrom goes even though they don't really give him any run support when he pitches Uh, That's still a big blow to the Mets, who currently lead that division. Philadelphia Phillies are 21-18. Atlanta Braves are 18-20. Miami Marlins, 17-21. And And the Washington Nationals are 15-19. In the National League Central, the St. Louis Cardinals have built a three-game lead at 23-16. They're three games in in front of the Milwaukee Brewers, who are 20-19. Now, with the Milwaukee Brewers, their all-star closer, Josh Hader, this past week, became the fastest player in Major League Baseball history to get 400 career strikeouts. And he did that in uh, 234 and two-thirds innings pitched. So, uh, pretty good accomplishment there. Hader is obviously uh, one of the best, probably the best closer in baseball right now. Uh, He's got that funky wind-up, that long hair. And he's just hard to get a read on for the hitters. So uh, he's he's averaging not quite uh, two strikeouts an inning, but uh, pretty close. Uh, so their Brewers are three games back of the Cardinals. The Chicago Cubs, they are 18 and 19. Cincinnati Reds are 17 and 19. And the Pittsburgh Pirates are quickly falling uh, out of this race here in the Central at 16 and 22, six and a half games back. Now in the National League West. The San Francisco Giants, this is the third week in a row that they've been atop the NL West, 23-15. and 15. Second is San Diego Padres, 22-17. and 17. Now, they got hit with the COVID uh, this week. Uh, all-star shortstop Fernando Tatis Jr. tested positive, and so did catcher Will Myers. So those two uh, will be out their 10-day quarantine period away from the team but they are still managing to uh, tread water uh, in their absence. 
uh, holding down that second place spot. Currently, they are a half game ahead of the Los Angeles Dodgers, who currently sit in third at 21 and 17. Now, the Dodgers went on a 4 and 17 run uh, throughout the last few weeks before finally winning three games in a row. So they appear to have turned things around. They are two games back of the Giants and just a half game back of the Padres. So, But again, uh, I picked the Dodgers to repeat at the beginning of the season uh, to repeat as World Series champions. Uh, I fully anticipate that they'll make the playoffs. That lineup is just too good, and uh, they'll go through slumps. But with that pitching and that lineup, there's no way that the Dodgers aren't going to be in the mix moving forward. Fourth place is the Arizona Diamondbacks, 17 and 22. They're on a three-game losing streak currently. And then last in the NL West, the Colorado Rockies at 15 and 24. Now they also have a three-game win streak uh, being put together, uh, but they are eight and a half games back of the Giants. And at this point, I really think it's safe to assume. I know we're still about a quarter of the way through the season, not even, uh, but the Rockies just seem to. Uh, they're probably going to be hanging around in that last place spot for most of the season. But moving over to the American League. In the American League East, the Boston Red Sox are atop there at 24-16. and 16. They're looking good. Their lineup is, is uh, really putting runs up there. And um, they're pitching. You know, uh, they have, you know, Garrett Richards has kind of found his own here this year with the Red Sox. And uh, they're looking good in that division. The New York Yankees have come back from the dead. Uh, A couple weeks ago, they were in last place in this division. Uh, But now they sit second at 21-17, and just uh, two games back of the Red Sox. They've won seven out of their last ten. The Toronto Blue Jays have put together a nice little streak. They just uh, swept the Atlanta Braves this past week. They're at 20-17. and Tampa Bay Rays... 21 and 19 and the Baltimore Orioles uh, 16 and 22 they're seven games back and I think nobody expected the Orioles to be anywhere but the seller of the AL East and I do believe that is where they are going to stay most of the year in the American League Central the Chicago White Sox have won eight out of their last 10 games to move into first place in that division at 23 and 14 that lineup is, again, they are scoring runs, too. Uh, they have some mashers in that lineup between Jose Abreu and uh, Tim Anderson from that leadoff spot has some pop. And your mean Mercedes, the catcher that has uh, kind of really hit the ground running so far this season. The Cleveland Indians are 21-15. and 15. They're a game and a half back of the White Sox, but they've also won eight out of their last ten. The Kansas City Royals are 17-21. and 21. They're five games back of Cleveland, six and a half back of the White Sox. They have won once in their last 10 games. They are going in the wrong direction. Then the Detroit Tigers are 13 and 25, and they're eight, uh, 10 and a half games back of the White Sox. And so too are the last place Minnesota Twins at 12 and 24. And uh, they're last place in the entire league currently, 12 and 24. They have won twice in their last 10 games. They've lost five in a row, which is surprising because they have fairly decent pitching with Jose Barrios and Jay Happ. And their lineup does have some pop anchored by Nelson Cruz, but um, it, it appears as though that division is starting to thin out at the bottom. Now, in the American League West, the Oakland A's are still hanging on to the top spot at 24 and 16. Houston Astros have been playing some damn good baseball lately. They're second at 22-17, and 17, just a game and a half back. They've won four in a row, seven out of their last ten. The Seattle Mariners, they are hanging around, too. They're 19-20. and 20. Texas Rangers are 18-22. and 22. They've lost four games in a row as it sits now, but they're still only six games back of the A's. And then in last place, the L.A. Angels at 16 and 21 they've on a three game skid and they've only won three times in their last 10 games so again baseball is still very young in their season and uh you know it's it's looking like it's going to be a pretty competitive season we've started to get a little separation in the divisions now that we're just about at the quarter point of the season and uh look forward to continuing 
a um, successful baseball season here. But we'll move on to the National Basketball Association, and we'll do a standings update there, along with a uh, pre-playoff preview tournament uh, update here, because they're doing the format, we'll, we'll, a different format this year. We'll talk about that. But we'll start off in the Eastern Conference. And the Philadelphia 76ers have officially clinched the top seed in the Eastern Conference at 48-23. and 23. The Brooklyn Nets are second at 46 and 24. They've won three in a row. The Milwaukee Bucks are third at 45 and 25. The Atlanta Hawks are 40 and 31. Miami Heat are 39 and 31, uh, sitting in the fifth spot. Now, they got some pretty bad news. Uh, Their point guard, Victor Oladipo, is out for the rest of the season, including the playoffs, as he's going to be undergoing season ending surgery on his torn right quadriceps so that is not good for the heat uh Oladipo can score and uh, they're going to need that in the playoffs for sure the sixth place team in the Eastern Conference is the New York Knicks at 39 and 31 and those top six teams have officially clinched the top six spots meaning that the seven through ten teams they're also set Uh, in stone. We don't know the exact order because there's still about uh, between two to four games left for everyone to play. But currently the seventh seed is the Boston Celtics at 35 and 35. Now they also got some horrible news this past week when their all-star forward Jalen Brown uh, was announced that he's going to miss the rest of the regular season and the playoffs after suffering a torn gap holonate ligament in his left wrist. Now, don't ask me what that is. Don't know. Uh, All I can tell you is that it's a ligament in his wrist. Now, Brown has been having a career year. He's averaging 24.7 points a game on 48.4% shooting. So that is very impressive for Jalen Brown, and he is a big piece of that Celtics team, and he is going to be missed in the playoffs. The eighth seed currently is the Charlotte Hornets at 33 and 37. And the ninth seed is the Indiana Pacers at 33 and 37. The tenth seed is the Washington Wizards at 33 and 38. Now, the Wizards, this past week, Russell Westbrook passed Oscar Robertson for the most triple doubles in NBA history with 182. He actually tied him and passed him in the same week. So the NBA career all-time leader in triple doubles is Russell Westbrook with 182. Now, I will say, uh, before his career is over, I do believe Luka Doncic will, uh, of the Dallas Mavericks will end up passing Russell Westbrook because Doncic is just a walking triple-double. But that's your Eastern Conference standings at the moment. The Chicago Bulls, Toronto Raptors, Cleveland Cavaliers, Orlando Magic, and Detroit Pistons have all been eliminated from playoff contention. And we know that the Boston Celtics, the Charlotte Hornets, the Indiana Pacers, and the Washington Wizards will be your four play-in tournament teams, the order of which is still TBD based on the last few games. But uh, over in the, and we'll get into the play-in, play-in format here in just a minute. In the Western Conference, the Utah Jazz hold a slim lead at top of the Western Conference at 51 and 20. The Phoenix Suns are second at 49 and 21. The Denver Nuggets are 47 and 24. The Los Angeles Clippers are also 47 and 24. The Dallas Mavericks are 42 and 29. And currently in that sixth spot, which is the last guaranteed playoff spot with no play in tournament, the Portland Trailblazers are 41 and 30. They hold a half game lead on the seventh seed Los Angeles Lakers at 40 and 30. Now, who would have thought just a couple months ago that the LA Lakers would go from number two in the West all the way down to number seven? Uh, But that is exactly what happened, and that is strictly due to the injuries sustained by LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Now, Anthony Davis has come back into the lineup, but LeBron has still, uh, he came back for a couple games and re-aggravated his ankle injury, and he's been out. So he should be back here for these last uh, couple games and uh, the playoffs. Now, the Lakers need to win out, basically. They've played 70 of their 72 games. Trailblazers have played 71 of their 72. So Lakers have a game in hand, and they're a half game back. 
from Portland to get to that sixth spot, which is very important because that sixth spot will guarantee a playoff spot and uh, will not uh, force them to play in the play-in tournament. Now, the 8, 9, and 10 seeds in the Western Conference, currently the 8th seed, the Golden State Warriors at 38 and 33, the ninth seed Memphis Grizzlies at 38 and 33, and the tenth seed San Antonio Spurs at 33 and 37. Now, those three teams are guaranteed a play-in tournament berth. Uh, the Spurs will be the tenth seed just based on how many games. They're four and a half games back of the Grizzlies. So Golden State, Memphis, uh, they can flip-flop between eight and nine. And then, of course, you have the Lakers and the Trailblazers that we just talked about. Uh, whoever gets the sixth seed, the other will be the seventh, and that will comprise your fourth play-in tournament team in the Western Conference. Now, speaking of said play-in tournament, the NBA did it, of course, uh, to where top six are guaranteed, and the uh, seven, eight, nine, and ten have a play-in tournament. Now, the last day of the regular season is Sunday, May 16th. The play-in tournament's going to begin on Tuesday, May 18th, and end on uh, May 21st. And how this is going to work, there's going to be a total of six games. This is the play-in tournament format for the NBA playoffs. It's going to be a total of six games involving eight teams from the two conferences, all right, as part of this play-in tournament. The teams that finish one through six are guaranteed the playoff spots, while the teams seven through ten will enter the play-in. And any team that finishes worse than 10th will be in the NBA draft lottery. So we know the lottery teams uh, in the Western Conference uh, that have been eliminated currently, the New Orleans Pelicans, Sacramento Kings, Minnesota Timberwolves, Oklahoma City Thunder, and of course the Houston Rockets. So a key note for the standings in order to determine seeding is that winning percentage is going to be used to determine a team's place in the standings, not uh, win-loss record. It's going to be winning percentage because teams may not have played the exact amount of games uh, due to any COVID situations. Now, here's how the play-in tournament's going to work. It's going to be three games, right? So you have a total of six games, three on each side, three in the east, three in the west. Game one is going to be the seventh seed versus the eighth seed. Seventh seed is the home team. The winner is going to earn the number seven seed in the playoffs. The loser moves on to game three. So game two, the number nine seed will host the number 10 seed with the winner moving on to game three. The loser of that game is eliminated from the playoffs and enters the NBA draft lottery. So game three is the loser of the 7-8 matchup from game one, and they are going to host the winner of the 9-10 matchup from game two. So the winner of game three gets the eighth and final playoff spot in their respective conference. And the loser of game three, they also get to enter the NBA draft lottery. So basically, the seventh and eighth seed entering the play-in tournament are going to have two opportunities to win one game to earn a playoff spot, while the ninth and tenth seeds entering the play-in tournament need to win two games in a row in order to advance in the postseason. So if you look back at the standings that we just talked about, that's why it's important. We know in the Eastern Conference, the play-in teams are the Celtics, the Hornets, the Pacers, and the Wizards, okay? And so those four teams will be playing those three games. We don't know who's going to host who at this particular moment, all right? But we know that the 76ers, the Nets, the Bucks, the Hawks, the Heat, and the Knicks are all guaranteed in at this moment and do not partake in the play-in tournament. And in the Western Conference, we know three of the four play-in teams, the Golden State Warriors, the Memphis Grizzlies, and the San Antonio Spurs. That fourth play-in team is either going to be the Portland Trailblazers or the Los Angeles Lakers. And that's just based on how these last couple games pan out. But either way, uh, this is shaping up to be a fantastic end of the regular season in the NBA and start to the playoffs. And personally, I am a huge proponent of the play-in tournament. And I think this needs to be permanent moving forward. And I think the NHL should adopt the same strategy. 
the NBA playoffs are obviously super competitive, but uh, the NHL playoffs are unmatched in terms of uh, skill and excitement and uh, just the NHL is where you have your lower seeds having more upsets than the higher seeds. And that doesn't happen so often in the NBA due to the power teams and the all-star trios and duos that we see uh, in the NBA. But uh, this is going to be fantastic. And I would love for the NHL to adopt this um, this play-in tournament uh, philosophy as well. And, um, you know, we'll have to see how it plays out here these last couple games. Um, this will be the last standings update for the NBA this season. Next week's episode, we will preview uh, the NBA playoffs and go over the play-in tournament and the first-round matchups. So I don't want to give any predictions at this particular moment. Uh, we'll save that for next week's episode on the NBA. But again, just uh, an exciting weekend here of basketball to wrap up the regular season and uh, start the uh, play-in tournament. So we'll have plenty of NBA to discuss on next week's episode. But we'll move on to our segment called Around the Island, and that's where we do some quick news topics from across the various sports. And we'll start off in the National Football League. And Seattle Seahawks wide receiver DK Metcalf, uh, if you've been on social media, you probably have seen it. He's been training uh, for the U.S. Olympics to try and get a bid at the USA track and field team to go to Tokyo this summer. Well, this past weekend, he ran his first professional race, which was a 100-meter dash. And Metcalf ran the 100-meter dash in 10.36 seconds, which is blazing fast. The problem is that he was racing against other professional runners. So DK Metcalf ended up finishing in ninth place in that heat. So he's probably not going to qualify for the Olympics, but that is not a bad time for an NFL wide receiver who is 6'4", 230 pounds. That is frightening fast for somebody that size, and uh, that just should not happen. But uh, congrats to Metcalf on at least uh, trying to chase that dream of his, and uh, now he's got an NFL season to get ready for. But a couple of notable free agent signings here in the National Football League this past week. Indianapolis Colts, they signed left tackle Eric Fisher to a one-year $9.4 million deal to protect Carson Wentz's blind side. And Fisher was the number one overall pick back in 2013 by the Kansas City Chiefs, who of course just released him about a month, month and a half ago before revamping their offensive line. Fisher's been pretty uh, consistent in the lineup. He's played in 113 of 117 games so far in his career since coming into the league. Uh, but he suffered a torn Achilles in the AFC Championship game uh, against the Buffalo Bills uh, a few months back. So there's been reports that he might not be ready for the start of the season, but I would assume that he's probably pretty close to being ready by the start of the season because they wouldn't have given him $9.5 million if he wasn't going to be uh, in that lineup towards the start of the season. But another notable free agent signing involves the Jacksonville Jaguars. They are going to be signing Tim Tebow. That's right. Former Heisman Trophy winner, former TV analyst, former minor league baseball player, Tim Tebow, to a one-year contract. Now, Penn has not hit paper yet, so nothing's official, but they announced uh, that it should be official here sometime in the next week and that Tim Tebow is going to play tight end for the Jaguars. And, of course, this move reunites him with his former college coach and mentor, Urban Meyer, who is in year one of his head coaching job at Jacksonville. And as of this announcement, Tim Tebow, he, of course, he played in the NFL uh, several seasons. But as of this announcement, it has been over 3,050 days since Tim Tebow last played an NFL game. I think it was the 2013 season, uh, which is a long time. He's, he's, been in the TV booth. He's been on a baseball field. Uh, he was in the New York Mets minor league system, made it up to the AAA level before calling it quits on that. But uh, So he's still probably in decent shape. I just think this is more of a PR stunt than it is an actual football move. But 
The final notable free agent signing deals with the Green Bay Packers. They have a ton of turmoil going on right now regarding quarterback Aaron Rodgers and his uncertainty. Rodgers has said he doesn't want to return to the team. He's not going to play for the Packers. He wants to be traded, etc. That poses quite a bit of a problem for the Packers. Um, they do have the first-round pick from last year, Jordan Love, who will be stepping into the starting role if Aaron Rodgers is not their starter this year. So Green Bay went out and signed quarterback Blake Bortles uh, to a one-year contract as, I guess, some kind of insurance policy behind Jordan Love. Uh, of course, Bortles was the starter for the Jaguars for several seasons and has bounced around between teams since. But uh, that is interesting to follow along with the whole Aaron Rodgers situation. No new news on that. Of course, we'll definitely get that to you when it comes out. But the biggest news out of the NFL this past week was the fact that the NFL released their 2021 regular season schedule on Wednesday night. And the opening game is Thursday night, September 9th. It's going to feature the Dallas Cowboys heading to Tampa Bay in Raymond James Stadium to take on the defending Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now, as a Cowboys fan, I'm super stoked that they get the first game of the year. I think that's, of course, the Super Bowl champs always get the first game of the year, but I think it's an honor to be able to play against the Super Bowl champs in the opening night. Um, but with the struggles we had on defense last year, I was kind of hoping for a much lesser opponent the opening week to maybe get us started off on the right foot. But I guess uh, we'll be heading to Tampa, Cowboys will, to take on the Buccaneers. So we'll see how that goes. There's also some some uh, other notable games on the schedule as far as uh, players reuniting with former teams. I know Tom Brady and the Buccaneers go to Foxborough to play the Patriots uh, in Week 4, I believe. Um, Arizona Cardinals go to Houston to play uh, the Texans there. Of course, DeAndre Hopkins and J.J. Watt, they'll be going back to Houston. But uh, So there's some notable reuniting type matchups on that but you can find your team schedule online uh, and all the other important games that that are going to take place throughout the season reminder that there are 17 regular season games this year uh, we've talked about that on previous episodes but that'll be interesting to see how that 17 game schedule affects uh, any kind of playoff seating and whatnot but we'll move on to the national hockey league and the nhl announced some modifications to their COVID protocols during the playoffs for fully vaccinated teams and players. So fully vaccinated, of course, means that the person is two weeks removed from the final dose of an approved COVID vaccine. And a team is considered fully vaccinated when 85% of the traveling party is fully vaccinated. So some of the perks to fully vaccinated players are that they do not have to quarantine after commercial travel, they do not have to get COVID tested on their off days, and they do not have to take a PCR rapid test on game days anymore unless they did not get one the day before. They are now able to socially gather in groups of up to eight people with no masks or social distancing, and they are also able to visit other hotel rooms of other fully vaccinated individuals. So that is uh, quite a few perks that they, the players are getting here for the playoffs and then for fully vaccinated teams, teams do not have to wear masks or social distance at team meetings or at any non-public areas of practice and game facilities. Their team meals are permitted indoors at restaurants. The players and staff can use the steam rooms and sauna. And most importantly, players can now golf as a group. So that is huge, uh, huge news, of course, uh, this should go without saying, but any individual who chooses not to be vaccinated must continue to abide by the previously enforced COVID protocols. So uh, that's good. The NHL is also encouraging vaccination, just like we've seen in the NBA um, and PGA Tour. And of course, I've been a proponent of that on previous episodes as well. I have both of my vaccines. I'm still alive. Um, but yeah, I think it's important that uh, the players, just based on the position that they're in and the responsibility that they have to provide you know, professional sports entertainment to millions of people, I think it's, um, I think it's 
it should be required for players to get vaccinated so we can have uh, so we can continue to have sports. Um, and if you don't want to get vaccinated, then you can't play. That's, that's at least how I feel. But uh, the NHL's another one now encouraging vaccination, which is huge as we get started here in the playoffs. But some other NHL news, there were three head coaches that uh, have either been fired or have agreed to not return to the team. The first one is the Columbus Blue Jackets and head coach John Tortorella. They've mutually agreed to part ways after six years, so Tortorella will not be the head coach of the Blue Jackets next season, and he's been in the news a lot uh, for benching players, yelling at players. Um, He's very abrasive. Uh, He's a good coach. Uh, but he, you know, doesn't exactly, he's not a player favorite, so to speak, but uh, it didn't work out there in Columbus. They had a, a fire sale at the trade deadline, and uh, they're just not not a competitive team at the moment, so out goes Tortorella. The other head, one of the other head coaches, Arizona Coyotes, head coach Rick Tockett is no longer going to be the Coyotes head coach after four seasons with the team. In those four seasons, he went 125, 131, and 4. So he was just below 500. Uh, Coyotes were never really a threat to make the playoffs in those four seasons. And so out goes Rick Tockett. Now, the New York Rangers, they have fired their head coach, Dan Quinn, after three seasons. Quinn's record in those three seasons was 96, 87, and 25 just above 500, and his only playoff berth came last year in the Stanley Cup qualifier expanded playoff. So in a normal year, if last year was a normal year with the regular 16 playoff teams instead of 24, then the Rangers would not have made the playoffs. So the only reason the Rangers made the playoffs last year is because they got included in that group of expanded teams. So, And of course, they got Uh, ousted in the first round so uh, they did not go very far did not have success and uh, they have a good couple of good young players there in New York they had the first overall pick this past year so Alexis Lafreniere is their their building piece but uh, and then Igor Shosturkin the the, uh, goalie and so they um, they have quite a bit of good young talent that uh, they need the right coach to come in there and and uh, get it going so out goes David Quinn. But some other NHL news deals with the Seattle Kraken, which is the newest NHL team. They begin their first inaugural season, I guess you could say, this year, the 2021-2022 season in the fall. Well, they have signed their very first player. The Kraken have signed forward Luke Henman to a three-year entry-level contract. Now, Henman was originally selected in the fourth round of the 2018 NHL Draft, 96th overall pick by the Carolina Hurricanes. So this officially becomes uh, the first player in Seattle Kraken history. So congrats to Luke Henman on that. That's definitely something special. Whether or not he makes the team, uh, he is still the very first player in Seattle Kraken history. So congrats to him. But we'll move on to Major League Baseball. The Oakland A's have announced that they're going to start looking at relocation away from Oakland. Now, the A's have played in Oakland since 1968, and they have prioritized building a waterfront stadium in downtown Oakland at the Howard Terminal site. And over these last probably 20 or so years, The A's have had many failed stadium plans with different site locations, and they've gone back and forth with the city council about funding and getting the money. And, of course, all attempts at at building a new stadium have fallen short. So now here they are in a world of new stadiums and high-tech stuff and buildings and just uh, top-notch facilities across uh, major sports. They play in the Oakland Coliseum, which is just an absolute train wreck of a stadium. It's old, it's decrepit, and it doesn't even look like a baseball stadium. And even when they're allowing full capacity, it never looks like anything is, nobody's ever there. So uh, it's just a complete dump of a stadium, and the A's are trying to build a new stadium, rightfully so. And the A's are actually the only remaining professional 
uh, major professional sports team left in Oakland after the Golden State Warriors moved across the bay to San Francisco a couple seasons ago and the NFL's Raiders moved to Las Vegas a couple seasons ago. So uh, Major League Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred has previously cited a few cities that he would like to see as expansion cities, and those cities are Portland, Oregon, Vancouver, British Columbia, Nashville, Tennessee, Charlotte, North Carolina, Montreal, Quebec. So any of those would be good. Uh, Of course, Oakland's Northern California, so Portland, Oregon, or Vancouver, British Columbia would make sense just for proximity purposes. But uh, Nashville probably needs a pro baseball team at some point uh, as well. So I like all those cities that Commissioner Manfred laid out, but we'll have to see on that. I think I think this is the Oakland A's way of basically holding the city council hostage and saying that if you don't build us a new stadium, uh, we will be leaving the city of Oakland, which obviously would be a huge financial hit for the city of Oakland. So stay tuned on that. Uh, that is interesting. But we'll move on. Uh, the final piece of uh, information just on around the island. Last week I talked about Forbes' list of uh, top 10 most valuable sports franchises. Well, this week Forbes came out with a list of the highest paid athletes in the world. Now, this is dated from May 1st of 2020 to May 1st of 2021. So this is just counting each individual player's earnings into that one-year time time frame of May 1st to May 1st, last year to this year. So here we go. We'll go from 10 to 1, Forbes list of highest paid athletes in the world. Number 10, Kevin Durant, $75 million. Number 9, Tom Brady, $76 million. Number 8, Lewis Hamilton, Formula One driver. $82 million. Number seven, Roger Federer, tennis player, $90 million. Number six is Neymar, soccer player, $95 million. Number five is LeBron James, $96.5 million. Number four, Dak Prescott, $107.5 million. Number three, Cristiano Cristiano Ronaldo, $120 million. Number two, Lionel Messi, $130 million. And at number one, the highest paid athlete in the world this past 12 months was Conor McGregor, UFC fighter, $180 million. And I think he only had maybe two fights in that time frame. Uh, I know he got beat in his rematch and... He got he got his face pounded in. So I don't, man. If you're going to give me 180 million dollars, I'll go step in the UFC ring and fight him. Uh, that is just absurd money for somebody who, uh, you know, obviously he's in great shape, but uh, he trains more than he plays. And uh, for one or two events this past year to make that much money, that is out of control. Uh, I would love just like a hundredth of that money. So, uh, but that is going to wrap up the 40th episode of the Sports Island Podcast. I do appreciate you guys listening, tuning in again. Thank you to all the loyal listeners that that uh, follow along and take time to listen to it and uh, look forward to crossing the next milestone. And as always, this podcast is available on all major podcast platforms, so you can rate, review, and subscribe to it. Uh, tell your friends about it. You can also find the podcast on Facebook at Sports Island Podcast. So again, a busy week we had this past week, and uh, with the playoffs now in the NHL and the NBA kicking off, we are going to have uh, plenty of stuff to talk about in these next several episodes, so stay tuned to that. But in the meantime, stay safe, be well, and we'll catch you on Sports Island next week.